0: Well, this morning, uh, the message will be a little bit shorter than it usually is because um, uh, we have, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of kids here and because I just want to focus on, on one simple idea that is inspired by the text that was just read. This will be more of a, a, a retelling of the Christmas story. I know we all know it, but I want to connect the Christmas story to your story, to our story, our, our lives today. So, I want to start with a couple of news stories. Now, when I was living in South Bay in in West Chula Vista National City area, during a shopping season, a a woman gave birth to a baby girl in the bathroom in the Chula Vista Walmart. And it made the news. And this is the picture of of that baby girl. The following September, a baby boy was born in Jakarta, Indonesia, weighing 19.2 pounds. (laughs) 24.4 inches. He was the size of a 10 month old. And this is his picture. In case you're wondering, he's the one on the right. (laughs) They gave him the name Akbar, which in Indonesian means big. (laughs) And the following December, a baby boy was born in the back of a Southwest airplane during the flight. Now, we hear these stories and we read these, these, these uh, news articles online and how these babies were born, and we get a little insight into who the parents are, right? And, but, you know, we have no idea uh, about the baby and who the baby is and is going to be because, I mean, they were just born. They didn't have any choice in, in the matter of how they were born. But today, we are going to talk about a birth that is totally unique, unlike Any other birth ever or that will ever happen in the future, this birth says everything about the baby being born. It's one of the greatest and most incomprehensible events that has ever taken place on earth. On the first Christmas night, God himself took on flesh and was born as a little baby. You ever swap crazy Baby being born stories. We have friends. We know some people who were part of our church a while ago. Their first child was born in the car on the way to the hospital. And so is their second baby, (laughs) which is crazy. So, I mean, you know, you hear crazy stories and, you know, someone's like, I know a woman who gave birth while she was skydiving. Whoa, wow. How do you top that? But Mary, Mary's like, yeah, well, I gave birth to a baby who is God, creator of the universe. Now, you cannot top that. And unlike any other baby, this one chose his parents, chose his birthplace, chose the visitors, chose it all. And that's why the story of Jesus' birth is so important because it tells us about him. In Luke chapter 2, which we just read from, we find the story of Jesus, the son of God, being born. And it begins with Mary and Joseph having to travel 90 miles south because the government was executing the census to get more taxes. And Mary and Joseph didn't have any planes, trains, or automobiles. So with Mary... Being nine months pregnant, they had out on this long journey of 90 miles. They have to do the trip the hard way. From Galilee to Bethlehem, if, if uh, you were young and, and healthy and you weren't pregnant, it could take, you know, four days. But with, the con- with Mary being nine months pregnant, I mean, it would probably have taken uh, a little longer than that. Now, moms. Moms or about-to-be moms, can you imagine? Nine months pregnant and your husband comes up to you and says, we're going on a trip. Cool, where are we going? We're going to Ensenada, okay, yep. And you get to ride on a donkey to Ensenada. What would you say? How do you think you would do? Uh, I think you'd probably do a lot better than I would, that's for sure. And when Mary and Joseph arrive, there's no room for them at the end, or any, at the inn and nowhere else. And, and uh, Mary knows how important this baby's going to be to the world. And the, I mean, the angel showed up and told her, and she's about to give birth for the very first time. I mean, they need a house or, or a hotel or, or somewhere inside where it's clean and, and warm and dry. but the only shelter available was a stable outside, where the animals lived. And when Jesus was born, he was wrapped up and laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for the animals. I mean, let let that sink in. God himself takes on flesh, and he chooses to spend his first night in a barn outside. He chooses that his first bed is going to be a feeding trough for animals. I mean, right from the beginning, we see that he is to be a king unlike any other king ever. Now, we might think that he picked this plan so that he could have this, you know, awesome rags to riches story so that one day when he's older, you know, he could tell everybody, hey, everybody, I was born in a barn and look at me now. But that's not why he chose to start out that way. 33 years later, he ended up getting nailed to a cross and dying a criminal's death. Jesus was born in a barn for the same reason he hangs on the cross later. It was not for himself, it was for others. Now, what happens as soon as Jesus is born outside? I mean, angels come to the the local uh, shepherds and they proclaim the good news that for unto you a child is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I mean, I need you to think a little bit. You've heard it so often. Think about how crazy this is. You have a host, a host of multitudes of angels announcing to shepherds that the Savior of the world has been born. I mean, that is crazy for a lot of reasons. But the one that stands out to me is that shepherds were not well-loved or respected people. They slept outside with the animals. They smelled like sweat and manure and sheep. They were considered ceremonially unclean. And anything they touch would be considered ceremonially unclean. Also, but... As soon as the Savior of the world is born, a host, a magnificent host of angels, I mean, the most amazing sight ever to behold, suddenly show up in this dark field and make this huge, major announcement, the biggest announcement of all time to these outcasts. I mean, this made no sense to the shepherds. I mean, later, I'm sure after they... Got, picked themselves up off the ground, you know, and we're talking about it later, I'm sure I can imagine them thinking, wait, time out. Why in the world did they tell us? And that's the big question, why? Why the shepherds? Why the manger? Why a stable outside? Well, my friend Tim Kane, a, a, a pastor in El Cajon, uh, put it this way. He says, he says this, I think one of the main reasons Jesus was born outside in a manger was so that the shepherds could be the first to come and worship him. If he would have been born in a hotel room in someone's house, I don't believe the shepherds would have been welcome guests. But you see, Jesus wanted the shepherds to be the first to see him. He came to save people like the shepherds. You know, Jesus... he. He could have chosen to start out with you know, the rich people and the connected people and the religious people and all the powerful people. He could have worked with Caesar if he wanted to. But Jesus says, I choose to be born outside in a stable and I want that group of shepherds, those shepherds right there to be the first ones to worship me. If you would have told anyone back then in, in Israel that 2,000 years later, people all around the world uh, would dress up and remember these, these common, poor, humble, outcast shepherds that would have been laughed out of the room. But this is the way that God works. Now, I try to, I try to mention this every, every Christmas. If Christmas happened today... Joseph and Mary would be teenagers hiking, hitchhiking to El Centro. And when they get there, Mary goes into labor and they can't find a Motel 6 and no one will take them in. So in desperation, they go into a bathroom at a gas station and there on on the cold, dirty floor, Mary gives birth to God, the creator of the universe. Joseph finds some greasy overalls. in the trash, and he he rips them into pieces, and Mary wraps them around the baby to keep the baby warm and Joseph pulls a broken shopping cart out of a dumpster and and they place the baby in it and there's a a, a knock at the at the bathroom door, and Joseph opens it, and it's a group of migrant workers they were They were back in the canyon, living in 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 cardboard makeshift uh, huts when when angels, a host of angels showed up. And, and told them about this amazing Christmas birth, and the, these migrant workers fall on their faces in the gas station restroom and worship the baby. Our king, our deliverer, the savior of the world, chose, deliberately chose to be born this way. And you know what? His life didn't get any easier When our king was just a little baby, King Herod tries to have him killed. And so he and his family flee to Egypt where they lived as refugees for years. Until the family finally went back. That means that our king experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He he experienced rejection and exclusion. He experienced exhaustion. He knew what it was like to have no home. Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he knew what it was like to experience injustice. Our King was punched, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross, and he never, ever did anything wrong. Now, here's what I want us to see this morning this is critical. And when it comes to your understanding of who God is, to fill that out a bit. Our God is not a far-off God who doesn't understand whatever it is that you are going through. He's not some distant God that's looking to give you the short end of the the stick. He's not playing games with our lives. Hebrews 4 says this, that we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced every trial. He experienced every temptation. He experienced every suffering. We will never, ever suffer anything greater than what he has suffered. And he eventually took the sin of the world upon himself. And because our king knows what you are going through, the Bible says he is also able to genuinely sympathize with you. You can talk to him about about your struggles with temptation. You could talk to him about your struggles with pain and and suffering. You could talk to him about your your longings and your your loneliness and and your letdowns. Jesus deliberately chose to live a life of poverty. He deliberately chose to live a life of suffering. He can relate to anyone who has suffered anything. And he faced all of that temptation that you and I have ever faced without giving in to sin. He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. Not so that he could say to us, hey, you know what? Evan, what's your excuse? I did it. What's your problem? That's not why he did it, is it? We all fall short. So he lived a perfect life so that he could go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for us. He paid the price himself for the sin of his people. He kept every command in Scripture perfectly. So so Jesus is the only one who deserved to be blessed by God. You and I, all of us, have broken these commandments, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that, that we accomplish separation from God, which is eternal death. But then, Jesus went to the cross to die for us, to take our punishment. And so, When we see pictures of of the baby Jesus, Mary and and, and Joseph, and him being held by by his mom, you know, when we see that during the Christmas season, we should be reminded that this this baby was born to trade places with us. John says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, it is Crazy to think that God would care about us at all. But he does, and he proved it. Jesus came to us so that we could know God, so that we could have our our relationship with God restored. He calls us to trust him, to believe in him, to turn to him as, as our only hope, to treasure him above anything and everything else. I mean, Jesus is better than anything this world could ever offer us, and yet we spend so much time and energy grasping for these other things that rip us off and let us down. He was the ultimate Christmas gift. It's a a gift that will will never be taken back, never be stolen, never rot, rust, or break. Uh, he, He came to give himself. He is the only one who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the king that we've always wanted. And if we get this, if we believe this, I'm telling you, it changes everything, absolutely everything. And and here are some of the changes that you will experience if you get this. First of all, you will become radically generous in ways that the world thinks is just foolish or, or maybe even irresponsible. You will become unconditionally loving even if people are out to to drag your name and reputation down and hurt you. You will be both gentle and strong, stronger than you ever imagined to be able to face anything that the world has to throw at you. The baby we see in the nativity scene changes our hearts and therefore it changes the way that we live as loyal followers of King Jesus. And and that's why we do things like like dedicate all the funds that come in this morning to to help people in need. We're changed. God was generous to us, so we want to be generous to other people, advance his kingdom as a testimony to a watching world, to point people to who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, I'll end with a quick story. It's a story that I tell often at Christmas time. You may remember it. A story written by Bret Hart called The Luck of the Roaring Camp. And according to the story, the Roaring Camp, this Roaring Camp was the the meanest, dirtiest, most disgusting, violent mining town in the Old West. And just to give you an idea, a line from the book says that the strongest man had but three fingers on his right hand, and the best shot had but one eye. Okay? So this is kind of a description of the kind of dudes that were here in this camp. It was made up entirely of dudes, with the exception of one woman, and her name was Cherokee Sal, and she tried, she tried her best to, to live and survive in that, in that environment until one day she died giving birth. And these dudes didn't know what to do. I mean, there they were with a baby to care for in a mining town, the roughest, vilest, most disgusting, violent town in the Old West. So they pulled out a box, got some dirty rags, and put the baby in it, but then they realized this was totally unfit for a baby. And so they sent a guy 80 miles away to have a redwood cradle made. And when he returned, they filled the cradle with dirty rags and placed the baby in it. But then they realized that wasn't right either. And so they sent another one of their miners to Sacramento to get some fine linens. And he brought the linens back and they placed the linens in the cradle. And then they placed the baby on top. And then they noticed that this beautiful cradle with the beautiful linings and this beautiful baby was on top of a filthy floor. So these tough, hard, vile men began, they got on their hands and knees and soap and water, buckets and started scrubbing the floor. Cleaned it. Beautiful. And then they noticed how dirty the walls were. They were horrible. Curtains were torn. So they cleaned the walls and they fixed the curtains, replaced them, and, and they totally fixed up this home for the baby. And then when their, 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 their angry, loud voices, their brawling, disturbed the baby's sleep, they, they, they quieted their, their bickering. And then when they came out of the mine each day with their, their treasures, their hearts longed to bring the child gifts, and so they laid their beautiful treasures at his side. The baby changed everything. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus changes everything. The birth of our Savior changes everything. He changes our relationship with God. He changes our relationship with ourselves. He changes our relationship with one another. He changes our relationship to our surrounding community, especially people in need. So I'll end with this question. How is he changing you? How is he changing you? I want to give you some time to think about that and to thank God for his generous grace. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy. And God, so often we forget our need for your grace and our need for your mercy to the degree that that we could even have contempt or be suspicious of those who need grace and mercy. So God, I pray that you would remind us of how gracious you were to us. That there was nothing in and of ourselves that we could do to bridge the, the, the gap, the separation between us and, and you. And yet, you loved us unconditionally enough to be sacrificially gracious. Thank you for Jesus for living for us and paying our penalty and then conquering death over the grave through the resurrection to give us new life and, and for the truth that, that you, are, you ascended and s- seated, at, seated at the right hand of God and just ruling over your kingdom and advancing your kingdom through people like us, people who know their need for grace, people who point others to where to get it, but it can only come from you. And so, God, make that more real to us as we meditate on why we celebrate Christmas. Pray that you would change us, change our church, change our our community, that we may reflect the kingdom of God. God, we pray um, that in our weakness, you would make us strong, and loyal to our King. We pray these things in your name.